It's derby time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll go to many distant lands. With Dan the coach and Jackie the skater, the fun will never end. It's derby time. Welcome to the Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby Podcast. This is Jackie Bauer. Thank you for joining me today on the path to becoming better athletes, teammates, leaders, and human beings. I am so excited for this week's episode, you guys. This is a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a while because I'm always really interested in deep diving into mindset, the things that can make us better as roller derby athletes, as human beings. I really, I really want to find out more. I'm always interested in finding out more. I read a lot of books and things, but there's a lot of affirmations out there and it never seems to get you as far as you want. Uh, I, I think I even told a story about affirmations once and how it helped, but it was like, mm. but what I love about today's topic, changing your self-limiting beliefs is that there is science behind it and it is evidence-based. So it isn't woo-woo. It isn't like light some incense or something and, and think about good thoughts or I don't know what people do. <laughs> it is it is all about, it, it's kind of a scientific way of approaching, this is the thing, this is the thing I want to change, and here's how I'm going to change it. And so I think this is going to make a big difference for you. It already has for me. So without further ado, I'm just going to go straight into our conversation with our special guest this week. <music> Okay, I'm sitting down with Grant here. Grant, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. My name's Grant Ordius, and I'm a uh, mindset, relationship, and life coach. So what that means is I help people own their own mindsets, develop relationships that they absolutely love, mm -hmm. and then figure out how to start to live out of a vision and a dream that maybe they thought had disappeared. And you've been working with my team this year a little bit yeah. on trying to improve our mindset. It was a goal of ours. We decided after last year's tournament when we lost a couple of really close games that one of the biggest areas we could tackle is the mental game aspect. So we came to you. Yeah, and it was a really interesting um, way that that occurred. And so it happened that right at the time that I was really starting to tune up the mindset piece as a possible thing to take into organizations, um, I get this message uh, through Facebook. I'm like, okay. So um, I thought that was really interesting and really cool. And so in addition to the stuff that I do with um, relationships, sometimes it's in couples, sometimes it's in teams or whatever, you know, I, I'm working on that mindset piece to help people win whatever game it is that they're in, whether it's life or marriage or roller derby. Mm -hmm. Play to win. <laughs> Play to win. <laughs> All right. So you talked a lot with us about self-limiting beliefs and I found this to be really interesting because we talk a lot about mindset on this podcast but from you I learned a lot about the science behind it and why this works so could you tell me a little bit about 
how this happens, how this works. Yeah, I mean, to me, when I got into this, uh, Jackie, that was one of the coolest things. I went, wow, this isn't just like woo-woo or positive thinking or, you know, affirmations like, you know, doggone, I am a good person and people like me. Yeah, look in the mirror, yay! Right. <laughs> but and, th- and those cheerleading voices are great, but what I found over the years in doing behavioral health is it don't change, for the most part, long-term outcomes. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is it just puts a person in a better or more positive mood or a positive frame of reference to continue to manage whatever it is that they have. But it doesn't necessarily change. And the reason why, I think, is um, something that, again, most psychology and most behavioral health doesn't even touch on, which is the thoughts and the feelings that you have are totally valid. But according to the science, thoughts and feelings come out of your belief system. And your belief system gets wired in arguably about the time that you're seven. Your brain is about adult size, 90% of adult size by the time you're seven years old. And most of the neural network is already established. And then most of your life from that point forward is just reinforcing what you've come to decide or believe. Now we'll use decide or make a decision um, and belief or um, holding a belief interchangeably. I thought that was just so fascinating how early it could be when this gets so firmly established. I, I, that just blew my mind, like age seven. <laughs> it is amazing, right? Um, yeah. You know, but if, if you think about it, humans are hugely effective, mm-hmm. hugely effective. And so if you look at most cultures, a lot of cultures have, have handed responsibility off to their kids a lot earlier than we tend to. Mm-hmm. So, so it doesn't really surprise me that a kid who's by the age of five or seven able to do an awful lot of stuff on their own, and that it would make sense that they would have to be able to think that stuff through, even though we also know that executive functioning and some higher levels of reasoning don't really kick in until much, much later. So therein lies part of the problem. If you make a lot of your decisions when you're seven, and they're brilliant for seven-year-olds, <laughs> right? but if you're operating out of those when you're 14, or 21, or 30, mm-hmm. or 80, not so brilliant. Right. But because what winds up happening, and here's the other part of the science behind it, you've got this part of your reptile brain called the reticular activating system. And that's that part of your brain that sets you up to either see what you already agree with as true, mm-hmm. or recognize things that are already important to you. So you buy an orange car and suddenly you see orange cars everywhere. I do have an orange car. <laughs> and are there more of them than there used to be? Yeah, suddenly there's so many orange cars. It's amazing. <laughs> and that's such a good choice, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's a good example or a pretty common example of the reticular activating system in play where you go, I'm buying this pickup truck and then you see it everywhere and it's like, yeah, man, this, you know, these trucks rock. Right? Yeah. And look at all these people who... Everyone agrees with me. Everyone this agreed. amazing. This was a great decision. <laughs> So, you know, that's always online and always working. That doesn't come online later. So from the very earliest decisions that we make, that's reinforcing all of those experiences. And so then our belief is there driving our thoughts and feelings and our actions and our outcomes. And in turn, that reinforces the world that we see. And we go, see, the world makes sense. Okay, so... um... You've got like a nice little like circular flow there. What's just an example of uh, starting with the belief, the thought, the feeling, like attaching the emotion to it? 
What, what's just an example of what that cycle could look like? Well, so for example, one of my earliest limiting beliefs that I'd identified once I started doing this work, um, and, it, and it coincided with starting this business, was I'm too old. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I should have done this in 2009 when I did my coaching training. Oh, I should have done this. Oh, I should have, right? <clears throat> and so my coach is challenging me going, okay, so you're saying you're too old, mm-hmm. right? Well, what would the, what, what, what do you think about that? So all my thoughts, all my feelings, the actions that I was taking are really more to the point, the inaction that I was taking because I believe that I, because I'm too old, I can't do this, mm-hmm. right? So because I believe that I was too old, my thoughts were negative, my feelings were on the down or anxious or doubting side, and then my, my actions, or again, the, the lack of actions that I took, got me right back to, see, I'm too old, mm-hmm. I can't do this. So, and we can talk about how to change a belief later, which was an astonishing experience for me at that point. Um, but that cycle of, I have this belief, mm-hmm. People can't be trusted, let's say. Mm-hmm. And the thought might be, I might bump into somebody and I'll interpret their behavior and go, see, look at that. Somebody's out to get me again. Mm-hmm. And then the feeling is I'm, I'm guarded or I'm wary or maybe I'm angry or maybe I'm afraid. Or keep people at a distance. And so my behavior exactly yeah. is to keep people back. I'll hold you at arm's length. That way you can't hurt me as easily. Mm-hmm. The outcome that I get then is, people seem to have trouble interacting with me, which makes them appear kind of squeamy. And when that happens, that reinforces the idea that, see, they can't really be trusted because I don't know what's going on over there. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what's going on over there is they don't know how to interpret how I'm interpreting them. Because we're basically interacting through a fence or something that's Mm -hmm. already been built. (laughs) Right. I've already typecast them Mm -hmm. as somebody who's untrustworthy. Well, most of us have had the experience of we bump into somebody and we get this odd vibe. Mm-hmm. And if that vibe is strong enough, it will play itself out to reinforce that belief. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, people are, I mean, there's some people that aren't trustworthy, right? We're mm-hmm. all old enough to have experienced that. But most people are just doing the best they can with what they've got. They're just people. Mm-hmm. So it's like a dance partner that's going to occasionally step on your toes. It's not ill-intended. Just stuff happens, right? But when that happens, and I believe it was ill-intended, it just reinforces my belief. Okay, so... Makes sense? Yeah, so you, you spoke about a belief. You spoke about what the flip would be. So how do you find evidence for uh, most people can generally be trusted? How do you start building that into your mindset? Good question. So the just like with, with any belief that I've bumped into so far, and the assumption, by the way, is... A limiting belief or a a belief, a negative core belief like that is there to protect you, Mm -hmm. but it's also almost always based on at best a half truth Mm -hmm. or a partial truth. Sometimes it's just an outright lie. So if if your limiting belief is a half truth or a lie, then to take it and find, go, well, then what would the truth be? Flip it to the opposite. Mm -hmm. So I'm too old becomes I'm not too old or people can't be trusted becomes people can be trusted. Your initial reaction is going to be, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right? Like working with my coach, I'm like, okay, have you seen me? Right? <laughs> and then, and or with the idea of people can't be trusted, I have my litany of reasons mm-hmm. that I can point to this example and this example and this example. So much evidence because you've been building it for years. And that's really because of my reticular activating system. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That's all it's allowed me to see. It doesn't mean 
that there aren't people who are trustworthy out there. Mm-hmm. So once I begin to challenge the, that part of my brain and that part of the wiring that goes, people can't be trusted, I go, oh, people can be trusted. And the pushback is, oh, no, they can't. You know, look at the evidence. <laughs> yeah. I go, okay, but let's find other evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. And when we stop and do that, I've yet to bump into somebody who's not able to come up with what begins to build a laundry list of evidence to support the new belief. Actually, well, come to think of it, well, you know, they're, well, well wow. Um, and then all of a sudden you're going, there have really been a handful of people who have hurt me really badly. And that's where I started throwing everybody into the bus. So in general, it might sometimes be a lot easier to remember experiences that we take as negative because they might have a lot more emotional impact on us and anything with super strong emotion is just going to be that much more rooted into our brain and just kind of indented in because it it was painful or traumatic or whatever or it was wonderful and positive right works that way too that's true that's another way that sometimes unfortunately we can get set up mm-hmm. right so we meet somebody who's wonderful and amazing and then that person for whatever reason goes out of our life but anybody who kind of reminds us of them mm-hmm. gets that automatic Gets that shine. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> mm-hmm. They get that shine. It goes right to them, and they haven't proven themselves at all. So you can both close yourself off to really good people or sometimes, unfortunately, open yourself up to getting hurt again. But that's part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. If, we don't believe that we, if we believe that we can't recover from being hurt, mm-hmm. it's far safer to just wall ourselves off. Right. If we understand that part of the human experience is people step on our toes. Sometimes they even kick us in the shins. But it's not necessarily because they're evilly intended. It's because they've got stuff too. Make sense? Yeah, so you have to overcome seeing yourself as damaged from any type of situation that hurt you and just realize, well, you know, this part of life is learning and sometimes learning is a painful experience and sometimes it's a really happy experience. It just depends. Exactly. (laughs) But, you know, so many people that I, that I bump into, and in my family that I know, have had a string of bad experiences, let's say, and, you know, all the stars line up the wrong way a few times in a row, and then mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's it. That's just how life works. That's mm-hmm. so sad, right? Because it's yeah. not how life works. No, it but doesn't have to. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. The thing about, the thing about our mindsets, and the, the reason that I love the, the science behind this, is because it's really clear that we really can own our own mindset. We're not victims of our circumstances or what's happened to us you know we can be victimized by something but that doesn't make us a victim so what i love about this is you're taking charge and you're not letting yourself just be affected by the environment you're you're choosing hey i'm going to affect things now i'm going to decide what my new belief is going to be and i'm going to start seeing it everywhere because i'm actually trying now That's exactly right. It's a super powerful tool or strategy, um, and it can be both, I think, something that you can use as a tool to affect a new decision and support the new decision, but as a strategy, a way of doing life to remember that you have the power to create and recreate and continue to rebuild and then forge whatever kind of a mindset you actually want, just like you can in the gym. The other thing I like about this is it isn't dependent upon anyone else. This isn't pointing a finger at a family member or a coach or a teammate and being like, you need to do this for me. This is you using your own agency to take ownership 
of this is something I need to fix up here in my brain first, and then I can fix it everywhere else in my life. That's exactly right. And I, and I love the way that you put that because so many people are like, well, if he doesn't, well, she needs to, and they're handing off their power. They're uh-huh. giving away the control that they actually have and to take that back and say, I'm going to make a decision that I won't let you talk to me that way, or I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to show up in a powerful way, and I'm actually going to ask for the support of my teammates, and we can make this happen. And mm-hmm. when you make that sort of a decision, the ripple effect out around you is astonishing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, wow, what happened to all these people I've been playing with for all these years? Suddenly they're... <laughs> yeah. Right? But it's us that yeah. really controls a lot of that, not because we've suddenly figured out some woo-woo mind hack to control them it's Mm -hmm. when we show up in a different more powerful way people respond to that in a different more powerful way now this is going to sound really cheesy but it's literally being the change you want to see in the world (laughs) you know there's a reason that those sayings are well traveled yeah um i i would say there has been an amazing change in my team in particular over the past couple of seasons and a lot of that has had to do with you know, it could start with one person and then two people. And it seems like it started small and then just grew and grew and grew as everyone got on board with the shared vision. And the most remarkable thing about it is normally when people leave roller derby, they're kind of done. They're they're done because of injuries or life or whatever. But this has been a season where people have returned to roller derby. They've returned to this team that... They left before because of whatever was going on in their life. And I really do believe it's because we've created a culture people want to be a part of now. They see it and they're like, I really want some of that now. That's cool. And I think it's it's just been part of all of us doing this thing together. I don't even think we've talked about it that much. It's just been something that's gradually happened because of the way we've chosen to do things. That's awesome that you kind of fell into that. Yeah. <laughs> Now well, I think it's deliberate, but <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> so so what do you think it was that you did on the deliberate side? Because I heard you say earlier, you know, I don't even think we were aware that we were doing it. What do you think was the deliberate part? The deliberate part was to make sure that the changes being made were subtle, that it wasn't like we showed up with stone tablets and we're like, this is how we're going to do things now. I think it was just a tiny change here and there one at a time where it was just this is how we're going to talk to each other now we're maybe going to speak to each other more respectfully with a lot more empathy and care um this is how we're going to act at practice we're going to remember that we're actually doing this for fun deep down and we're going to remember we can still (laughs) access that when we're at practice and we don't have to lose the working hard and the competitive aspects of our personalities to do that in fact it can be really fun to be competitive and still drive each other. And I think it was just little things like that that really made us all gradually evolve towards the best versions of ourselves as teammates. Yeah, and so it sounds like little heart-level changes as opposed to coming with, like you said, stone tablets and a book of policies and procedures. Yeah. Right. Because I, I do find in my experience that you know showing up with new bylaws isn't, the thing that suddenly makes everything magically better. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> or a lot of times it doesn't. So good for you guys. Yeah. Well, I think we've reached a point where we can take a quick break. All right. And then I think we're going to tackle some sporty beliefs that we can flip and awesome. get better at. Awesome. <laughs> 
This episode is brought to you by Bout Betty's, the only roller derby subscription service in the world. They offer a range of levels, so you're sure to find one that fits in your budget. The full packs and apparel only pack options include custom apparel they design themselves or collaborating with derby skater artists to feature their artwork. There's so many fun colors and patterns in size small through 3X. The Bout Betty's full packs also include skate gear, accessories, and stickers. Yes, stickers. If you're one of those cool jean vest wearing types, you'll wanna check out the Derby Flare Club option, which includes a mix of enamel pins, patches, stickers, and buttons made from the artwork of Derby artists. And the Classic Pack has non-custom apparel, gear items, accessories, stickers, and healthy snacks. How thoughtful. As for me, I super love the apparel. You may have noticed how often I wear it when I make videos for our Facebook page. The leggings, shorts, and sports bras are just amazing. Okay, the material is ridiculously silky smooth and soft. The first time I pulled on my Apex Predator leggings, I could not stop touching my legs and asking friends to also touch my legs so they could feel the magic that is this material. And it's so darn cute. There's mermaids, dinosaurs, steampunk, cats. Whether you're hitting the track, skate park, gym, book club, or grocery store, you will turn heads and bring joy to those you meet. Subscribe today using our podcast promo code POWER10 for 10% off your first pack at boutbetties.com. B-O-U-T-B-E-T-T-I-E-S.com. It's like Derby Christmas every single month. And yes, they do ship internationally. Once again, that promo code is POWER10 for 10% off your first pack at boutbetties.com. Okay, we're back. All right. <laughs> That's pretty much how we do things here. That was great. <laughs> that was an amazing break, right? Yeah. Um, so a belief I've struggled with that I've talked about here and there on the podcast was uh, the um, inspiration for my episode on punching sharks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, my, I believe what I would now call my self-limiting belief would be that I choke in high-pressure situations. Any time where we were against a really tough opponent where I was worried that my impact on the team was going to be the thing that lost the game for us, it was suddenly like I couldn't move and I couldn't play quite as well. I was limiting myself and I became a little bit harder to communicate with. I got very quiet. I got very nervous. Like Things like this would kind of happen. And my solution for dealing with that was to try to remember the times where I have been effective and to um, also try and give myself more high pressure situations in my life, maybe not necessarily mm-hmm. even a game situation, but just doing things that I find challenging here and there, just to know that I wouldn't back down from pressure of any form. Like the 100 burpee challenge. Yes, so you did listen. Absolutely, <laughs> Great. absolutely, yeah. But now, because of the science and the details here, I feel like we can go further with that than I did in that episode. All right. Because the problem, the reason I don't feel like I've ever tackled this 100% mm-hmm. is because I have so much evidence of the times where I did choke, like games where I was sent out for the last jam, where I had a chance to maybe win it for us, and I didn't get lead, and I didn't get the points, and things just kind of went awfully. And sometimes in those games... 
there was one more jam and someone asked me, will, will you go back out and do it? And I felt so defeated that I said, no, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Or there was another jam and somebody else went and won the game for us. And I was so relieved because we still won the game, but I still carried that shame of, but I didn't do it when I, I had the chance. Like, why didn't I step up? Because I'm very, I'm capable of it, mm-hmm. but I've got all this evidence of the times I didn't do it. All the times I blew it. Right. Right. So how do I flip that when I've got all this pesky evidence? (laughs) Okay, that's a great question. That's a great setup because for a lot of people, like when I went to change that initial belief Mm -hmm. that I had about being too old, I really could not come up with anything to counter the belief. Mm -hmm. It was so entrenched. And so what my coach reminded me is that you can actually start with evidence from other people's lives who have been in similar situations and say, well, is it? Is it true that when you're in this situation, that means X? Mm-hmm. So when, when you're 62 years old, does that mean that you're too old to do something amazing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, no. Well, like, <laughs> she's like, okay, what's the evidence? Well, Harlan Sanders started Kentucky Fried Chicken in his 70s, driving around Kentucky in an old beat-up station wagon trying to sell a recipe, right? Uh-huh. And then, this is where being a history nerd helps, so over and over and over, the evidence began to come to mind. It's like, oh, yeah, and then, oh, yeah. Well, uh, and then there was, and then in my own life, I started to go, well, actually, I didn't go back to school until I was 30, and, and well, and then I got married late, and then we had kids a little bit later, and so a lot of things begin to show up as evidence that, in fact, it's not too late or I'm not too old, in fact, I tend to start late, bloom late. Right? So in your life, you just tend to get more interesting as you get older. <laughs> I love to think about it like that. You know, like like wine, you know, you just get better. Right. A lot of people aren't like wine, but um, <laughs> but at any rate. So, so on the side of the, okay, so I always blow it in high pressure situations, or mm-hmm. I don't have what it takes in a high pressure situation. Let me ask you this. Have you ever come through in a high pressure situation? Yeah, we actually have done drills in practice where we do practice. It's the last jam of the game in a scrimmage or a drill. Um, you're behind by four points. Go. Like, figure mm-hmm. out what you're going to do together. And the team quickly talks to each other. We make a plan. We execute it. And, yeah, more often than not, I have won that scenario. Okay. And have you ever, in a clutch situation, in a difficult situation, in a game, come through in a tough situation? Yeah, every time I've been put out to block in the last jam, we have won the game. So I have always done it as a blocker, but I want to do it as a jammer as well. Okay, so are are you more experienced as a jammer or a blocker? That's actually hard to say at this point in my career. I've done so much of both. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like season to season what I'm needed for. But I would say now, I, I actually do have more experience as a jammer now. Okay. There's been a lot more years of either exclusively jamming or jamming more often than I block. So then a part, of, a part of the process would be looking for the places in the situations as a blocker and then as that became more, I'm jamming more now, mm-hmm. as a jammer, not just in the very limited description you know, or the limited scenario you gave yourself like the last two minutes of the game or the last, mm-hmm. but where it's throughout the game with a tough team, all of the things being equal, do you show up? Yeah, in fact, um, last year, it was a game that we did eventually lose. I didn't have a great first half, but I came out in the second half 
and I had a really big jam. It was like 20 something points against a very tough team. And I felt like I was gonna die, but I put the points on the board. So I was not hopeless. It's, it's not like I've ever had a complete terrible game ever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just always been, but can I do it when it really counts in that last moment? But I should remember that there are moments throughout the game that can make an impact on what that score is going to be at the end. And if I am doing great things throughout the game, then I shouldn't be picking on myself if it just didn't go my way at the very end either. Well, I was going to say, so a part of this is, you know, you're making, you're making really something important about that last few minutes of the game. Right. Whereas you show up and you're successful along the way throughout the game. And, and like you said, sometimes you are and sometimes you aren't. Mm-hmm. But you don't beat yourself up those times as much, it no. sounds like. No, because there's still time. There's always still time. Sure. <laughs> but you're owning, you're owning an amount of pressure for that last part mm-hmm. that, first of all, I wonder if everybody else owns in the same level uh, as, you, as you are. Are you beating yourself up more than everybody else? I think that I have in those situations. I, I can also remember a teammate of mine the other game we lost at tournament, there was a moment at the end, we lost by two points. There was a moment at the end where as blockers, we did something together that meant it made it harder for our jammer to score the points we needed. Um, it was just an instinctual reaction. And the blocker that led that charge immediately was emotionally overcome because she felt like she had lost the game for everybody with this one tiny action when she had done so much over the course of the entire game to put us in that situation to maybe win it. <laughs> right. So there, there again, that's how you construct the scenario and are choosing to see it mm-hmm. and the decision that you're making about seeing it. So let's circle back to that in a second. Have you ever observed play where somebody's come in and pulled a rabbit out of the hat in the last part of the game? Yes. Has anybody else ever done that in your experience? Um. Yeah, I've, I've watched lots of games where it seems like a team is behind and they're not going to be able to make it out and just some kind of magic happens out there. Um, the blockers do their best blocking of the night. They maybe pull a penalty on the jammer to make it even easier for their player. The jammer scores as many laps as she can. She's dying, but somehow pulls it out in the end. Um, there's been some spectacular last jams in the sport of roller derby and again as you're describing that as i'm sure your listeners would be aware is that all on the jammer no it's completely about what the blockers did for the jammer as well it's completely every person on the track doing something important right so when you go out in the last few minutes of a high pressure game what i'm hearing you doing is owning all the pressure Mm -hmm. for the entire outcome when in fact you're a cog in the machine. You're an important part of it, no doubt, Mm -hmm. but it requires the entire team, not just one player, right? So what you're saying is maybe it would diffuse the pressure more if I remember more that I'm not alone out there. (laughs) That's right. And this isn't all on you, Mm -hmm. right? To make this thing happen, it's, there's a whole other team. Hello. Uh, (laughs) I guess they're there. (laughs) They'd like to think so, right? So no, absolutely. And so Going back to the other example, you know, the example that was kind of pivotal in, in my early work is if other people can do it and you're at least as skilled as other people, mm-hmm. then what's the argument for, but I can't? The only argument I have is I haven't. <laughs> Always or ever? 
you're right. Um, I haven't always, but it doesn't mean I haven't ever. That's kind of what I was thinking that we were there, saying earlier. There's, there's the opening. There's the door. Right. So there's the disconnect. And, uh-huh. and isn't it funny how you, we just talked about the fact that you know that. Uh-huh. It's not always. It's yeah. sometimes. And yet when we circle back to it, it's always. Because the, I remember them more. <laughs> because my reticular activating system has supported the wiring in my neural net it's that so says, pesky. I can't do this. <laughs> so, so the strategy... Mm-hmm. Right is let's let's tell people how to unpack this. The strategy is you take your limiting belief. I mm-hmm. can't do this. Other people can, but not me. This never works out for me. You know, it always works out for others. Whatever it is, whatever mm-hmm. language you might give it to start with, and you take that and you simply restate it in the reverse, mm-hmm. at least to begin with. So, I can't do this becomes I can do this. Mm-hmm. So at first, especially if you've had a lot of powerfully emotionally draining losses Mm -hmm. or experiences to go with your limiting belief like you pointed out earlier that's going to wire it in extra tough Mm -hmm. so to really give yourself a chance to rewire that you take the limiting belief you flip it around and turn it into the opposite and then you give yourself the evidence and so the evidence would be either from other people's examples Mm -hmm. if other people can do it i can do it if other people haven't been too old then i'm not too old if other people have pulled the rabbit out of the hat in the last couple of minutes, it's possible I can too. Mm-hmm. And then the way that you rewire the brain is you come up with a ritual for yourself. Early part of the day, before you go to bed, you sort of walk through or recite your new powerful belief mm-hmm. and the evidence that you've identified. So I can succeed in high pressure situations I, I can thrive under pressure, given the opportunity. There's your new belief. Yeah. And the evidence for that new belief, and this is where I really want to encourage people to write it out for two reasons. Number mm-hmm. one, in an exercise, sometimes you'll come up with stuff like you do in the middle of the night that you won't remember in the morning when you wake up, mm-hmm. right? And so we could sit here and come up with all this stuff, and you could get in your car, and by the time you get home, you remember a third of what we talked about. Right. <laughs> so, so when you come up with your evidence, write it down. The other reason is from educational research, when you write something on, with pen on paper, it takes it from one part of your brain, and as it flows out your hand, it does something in your neural net to reinforce it. Mm-hmm. So it's why taking notes in class is so useful for so many people and that kind of thing. So, You know, that is kind of amazing. <clears throat> I was one of those people in school where note-taking was huge for me. Like mm-hmm. I. If, when I went to sit down to take a test, I could literally see mm-hmm. my notes on the page. That was just how I remembered things very it, well. Exactly. And so while it's not quite that visceral for some people, the research suggests that for most people, it has a similar kind of effect. Mm-hmm. So whether or not you can actually visualize it or it's just in there in a way that's like, I seem to remember that answer. Mm-hmm. Really do. I can't encourage you enough. Really write them out. Mm-hmm. So, And like Michael Jordan said about, you know, Michael Jordan... Um, sucked as a basketball player in high school. He got cut, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and he's famously quoted as saying, once I made a decision, uh-huh. I never thought about it again. Yeah. So with your old belief, I can't show up in high-pressure situations or I always cave or whatever it is, mm-hmm. once you've decided that that's not true and however you reframe it, mm-hmm. forget about the old belief. Mm-hmm. Just let it go as though it's dead to you. Like it just doesn't like, exist. I, just, I do this. I eat high-pressure situations for breakfast. Kind of. And here's the <laughs> evidence. Right? And again, if you don't give yourself the evidence, then that new belief could become just an affirmation. 
because it can sound phony. Not there, That was something I tried early in my derby career. I was not confident early on my first couple of years. It was so frustrating. And I literally tried just saying I was awesome. <laughs> just, just remind myself, like, I'm awesome at roller derby. But I didn't have any evidence, so I had so much trouble making that stick. But it was funny. Gradually, over time, evidence developed. <laughs> right. But the affirmation alone was not enough. But the, and you raise an interesting point, Jackie, because what I hear you describing is over time is the you didn't quit. Yes. So many people will, like we were talking about earlier, have a short enough career where they might not accumulate that evidence. I'm too stubborn to quit. And then, <laughs> and so, right. But so many people, well, I guess I just suck at this or, well, I just, you know, this must not be my sport or I really like it, but I guess I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so they walk away before they ever get great. Yeah. So in this, in this uh, um, one of my coaches likes to say, when you first start doing anything, you'll be terrible at it. In fact, he says, you'll suck at it. <laughs> he says, and then if you keep going, you'll suck a little less. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, you won't really suck. You'll actually be pretty good. <laughs> the problem with most people, he'll say, is that before they get good at doing that thing, they'll give up. Mm-hmm. So you didn't give up, so you accumulated evidence. Mm-hmm. I'll argue that there was evidence that you weren't able to see even while you were accumulating evidence. It's very true. Um, I see it all the time with other new skaters now. Mm-hmm. They get discouraged quickly, especially if we have a really small group of new skaters coming in together. When I came in, I was lucky. I was with a big group of people, so I could kind of size myself up alongside these people and be like, well, we're all kind of learning together. I can see what we're doing. But if there's only a couple of you and um, you're brand new, you've got nothing, and all the evidence you see around you is people who have been playing for years and years and how good they are, and you are barely keeping your balance, just staying upright, it can be really frustrating and hard to be like, well, could I ever do this? I'm sure that must be hugely frustrating, and that would go especially to the culture that you're in. Mm -hmm. Because if you're in a team culture where it's, hey, you've got this, this is where we were, don't Mm -hmm. worry, and all that kind of encouraging stuff, as opposed to a culture that likes to haze Mm -hmm. and likes to, you know, pick on the new guy to see if they've got what it takes to stick it out. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of cultures like that. But if your culture says, hey, here's where I was, look at where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. You're in the same spot, that's where you're going to be. And you've got a lot of good examples of people doing that, then they can use that evidence as a new skater to go, well, I can't jump now but I will later. Mm-hmm. Or I may be not a very good blocker right now, but I'm going to study Jackie and I'm going to rocket block. <laughs> I can think of so many examples of, of people who came in as complete rookies, had never put skates on their feet in their lives and had such a, a remarkable transformation. And I wish I had like a video of each of these people so I could show it to the new people coming in and be like, this could be you. See, they're skating just like you are right now, but they got to here. Right. And it took them a couple of years, but hey, <laughs> big difference, right? <laughs> right. So much encouragement in that and so much evidence that you can use from your teammates and from other players that you've seen and observed in the sport to go, well, if they can do it, I can too. Mm-hmm. Another thing I like about... Um, your belief about you being concerned you were too old. That's another thing in roller derby. People are interested, but sometimes they think they're too old. But I have played a team of women who are all in their 40s, the entire team, 
And they are amazing, and they always make it tough on us. How cool. And I kind of want to do a whole episode just about them because I feel like um, it's just something kind of magical about that. And they are just as stubborn as me. Like, I don't think they're ever going to quit. <laughs> That's great. That would make a great interview, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. To find out what the attitude and the mindset is that keeps them on the track and keeps them so positive. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they're beset with in- injuries and stuff just like everybody else, but... Recovery time's got to be a little bit longer. and Yeah. So, anyway. Um, I, I guess the, the last part of this is I want to ask you just a little bit more about the visualization aspects. Sure. That last step. So, we, we identified the belief, we flipped the belief, and we came up with all kinds of evidence to reinforce the new belief. Um, what would you recommend for really setting it in with the visualizing? Okay, so that's a really great question and a good place to wrap up because visualization... Um, more and more research, just like it was on, you know, mindfulness a few years ago was kind of relegated to the woo-woo, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, so we're talking about crystals and stuff. And just like with mindfulness, just like with the gratitude practice, all those things have research behind them to talk about the physical, spiritual, cognitive, and emotional benefits that accrue to people who practice those things. And with visualization, especially from the world of sports, where studying visualization and and applied visualization has been something that's been going on for quite a while, the evidence is super clear. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I shared with the team um, that video that was an interview in part with Conor McGregor. Mm -hmm. I think that's his name from uh, MMA. Right. And how he visualizes every single part of about from the time he's in his locker room to walking out and hearing the crowd and smelling the crowd and stepping on into the ring, everything is mapped out in his mind. Or mm-hmm. that, solar, that solo climber who doesn't use any protection and how for weeks in advance he walks through every conceivable move and everything that might happen up to and including if he falls, mm-hmm. what will it be like? And so he says, when I get there, that day of the climb is actually the easiest thing that I do because I've really already done it and now I'm just acting out what's already occurred. So with visualization, a part of the trick is to make it as real as you can, sight, sound, smell, and give yourself quiet time to picture doing whatever it is that you're trying to do next. Mm-hmm. And so it, the argument is because of the way that your brain works, this goes back to your brain science, your brain actually creates all the stuff necessary for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And you really are just walking out something that you've already prepped for. Mm-hmm. So to create a play, to visualize that perfect jam, to see what's going to happen as a blocker. When the other team does this, I know that this then is what I'm going to do. Here's the move that I'll use to stop that. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm going to do with my teammates when we... And imagine the power in a team if everybody's been doing that together. So take the playbook individually walk through it as the playbook for the team Mm -hmm. and then act it out as the team having already really done it. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing tool and again a strategy um, just like this um, just like being able to change a limiting belief is both a tool and a strategy. So identify what it is that you'd want to change. Let's say you were well let's say you always felt like you couldn't jump Mm -hmm. right even though maybe in practice you can when you get out on the track, maybe you just feel like I'm going to be an idiot and fall and, you know, it's going to be mortifying. And so, mm-hmm. or I'm going to screw up the game for everybody. And so I'm not even going to try. 
So picture it over and over and over. See yourself doing it in as many situations as you would need to do that. Mm -hmm. And then give yourself an opportunity to practice that. Mm -hmm. Set it up in practice to practice that. Make it as real as you possibly can in every conceivable way. And then when game time comes and it happens, it's almost like, as people have told me about it, it's almost like the instinct kicks in to do what it is that they visualized. It's almost counter not to do it. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, I, I can do this. In fact, I've done this. Why would I not do it now? Right. This is just part of what I do. <laughs> so you're right. So exactly. You're reverse engineering the behavior from picturing it. Mm-hmm. And then as you move up the timeline, so to speak, mm-hmm. you finally step into the moment when you do it, mm-hmm. but having already done it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're already becoming the people that we already are. Right. Whoa. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I don't think we can say anything smarter than that. <laughs> Grant, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Oh, this, it's, been a, it's been a blast. Thanks for the invitation. Is there any type of um, contact information you'd like to share if anyone has like a question about any of this? Sure. I mean, if you want to, um, I'd be happy to answer emails. Um, you can send me a message at grant at grantporteous.com. I'll put that in the show notes so that you don't have to worry about the spelling. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. This has been so great. Ah, it's been a great fun doing it again. Thanks very much for the invite. Thank you. you All the best. Yay. <laughs> Want to know how you can support our podcast and look super cool doing it? Visit our store at powerforcewhistle.threadless.com. We have something for everyone. Whether you like designs that make you feel powerful, like roller derby strong, to cartoon animals on roller skates like cats, elephants, llamas, and more. Our three newest styles include sloth roller derby, naps before laps, I utterly love roller derby, and giver of fox, for all of you out there who give a fox. Our store is full of super soft t-shirts, tank tops, hoodies, accessories, and more. You get to pick the color and style. It's all up to you. And you can support this podcast. Visit our store, powerforthwhistle.threadless.com. That's P-O-W-E-R, the number four, T-H-W-H-I-S-T-L-E dot threadless.com. Thank you for your support. And we're back. Again, except it's just me this time by myself. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I have found it to be tremendously helpful. Uh, I'll give you a little a little backstory. When we recorded that conversation, it was right before our last game of the home season, which was something we were really looking forward to. Our team was kind of you know, had a lot of pent up energy going into it because the last time we had played that team, we had lost by two points. So we were readying ourselves for a high pressure situation and it was a little different than expected, but we did really well. I was really proud of how we played. I would say our first half was the best first half we've played the entire year. And I think we have things to work on now in the second half. And I, but the point is, We went in hard. We went in strong, like ready to take on anything. 
And I'm so proud of us for that because it could have really gotten into our heads, the pressure from last time, and it didn't at all. We actually had a really good time playing. This was one of the most enjoyable games I played this year. The other team was so nice, just so many really delightful people. It was nice talking to them between jams. It was a great time. And as a result of that game and here we are at the end of the home season, and now my team has a little bit of uh, a buffer before preparing for our last big event of the year, which is a tournament we go to, you know, basically our postseason tournament in Michigan. And I'd elected to take an entire week off. This was so hard for me because I hate rest. I'm not good at rest. I really don't take rest days. And I decided I'm going to take a rest week. I'm going to rest so hard. And you know what it's doing to my brain? It is messing with my brain so much, you guys. So I've gotten to practice a lot of this stuff this week because um, I'm someone who I, I haven't talked about this much, if at all, on the podcast yet. It might be a future episode. Uh, please write to me and let me know if this is something you want to hear about. But I'm someone who has struggled with eating disorders in my life. So taking a week off of exercise is really hard for me because there are old neural pathways in my brain that immediately want to light up and tell me that you're gaining a whole bunch of weight this week because you're not exercising or you're losing all your, your fitness and you're not going to be as good at roller derby. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's laughable. But it can really mess with you, right? So the, the, the belief that I'm changing, the self-limiting belief that I'm changing to the belief I want to believe now is that I am doing the right things for my body at the right time. And it is making a significant difference. I had a, a, a fall at the end of like towards in the, like the last jam I played in the game that kind of goofed up my knee a little bit. And you know what? My knee is feeling super. My knee is feeling all better. But there's another nagging injury that's been bothering me for a little over three weeks now. And that hasn't been going away as easily. It hasn't been going away as quickly. So I'm starting to get on myself and be like, oh, nothing I'm doing is working. This is going to be here forever. What's going on? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I think... It could be getting better, but maybe it's going slowly and it's having, it's a hard for me to see the evidence, or maybe I haven't done every single thing I can think of to do yet. And I need to reach out to people and ask for more advice. So that's what I've been working on. Instead of these negative things, these nagging things that don't do a single thing for me, except make me feel frustrated and blow me up. I'm going to instead think about the positive things that could make a noticeable difference that could have a positive effect on my life and my roller derby journey and my journey as a person. And I am working on, I want to be more trusting. There, there are so many things I want to be better at. And this has already helped me in a lot of areas of my life where there were little tweaks I wanted to make where I'm like, I don't like how I'm thinking about this. I want to think about it this way instead. And here's all the evidence I can find for why this is true and why this works. So I hope this helps you too. If this is helping you, please write to me. I would really like to hear more about your journey too. I'm always willing to hear. 
And if you ever want to write in questions, I am gathering them together to have a, like a Q&A episode coming up. So please send me your questions, send me your episode ideas, and we'll have kind of a, a fun mish, mishmash episode in the future. And for now, I have to go because I have a lot more research I want to do before the WFTDA North America East Continental Cup that I'll be announcing at. I'm so excited. And I will be throwing together a predictions episode before I get in the car and go to Pennsylvania. And then a recap episode afterwards, which I am not sure how that's going to work. I'm not sure what the audio quality will be, but I, I trust in all of you, because I'm a trusting person now, that you will forgive me if it is in any way a little bit less than usual. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Tell me about your beliefs that you're going to flip. I want to hear about everything. We have been talking about Derby and sharing Derby thoughts. Pew, pew. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby podcast. I really hope those laser beams of positivity will carry through your day. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram and Twitter at Power Fourth Whistle. That's P-O-W-E-R, the number four, T-H-W-H-I-S-T-L-E. You can find fun videos of on and off skates training on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, and Instagram. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast anywhere you can. Leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts is still the best way to help this podcast be found and spread those laser beams of positivity to more humans. Open the app, punch those stars, and leave me a pew pew!